Physical health has become a big deal for many of us today. Because of that, we, we watch what we eat, we try to exercise, we try to keep the stress level down, we get regular checkups. And the reason we do that is because we want to stay healthy, we want to live a long life, we want to live a productive life, we want to be able to enjoy life. And so we do these things. I think relational health has become just as important for many of us today. And because of that, we, we try to carve out time so that we can spend quality time with those we love. We learn how to communicate with, with those we love and how to handle conflict because we all are going to face conflicts in life. We learn how to forgive one another and, and forget things that people have done to us. And the reason we do that is because we want healthy relationships with our, with our spouses, with our children, with our, our parents, our neighbors, our friends. But I think there's one kind of health that is vitally important that we have a tendency to neglect, and that is our spiritual health. You see, the Bible teaches first and foremost that we are not physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And so we should be concerned about our spiritual health. And the Bible tells us that the most important relationship that we should look for and we should work toward is our relationship with our Creator. Because if every other relationship is good, but that one is bad, then everything will eventually go South. And so this morning we're going to be talking about, about spiritual health, how we can be spiritually healthy as individuals and how we can be spiritually healthy as a community of believers. Now if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Now remember, God's people had been living in Egypt for, for over 400 years as slaves. But through some plagues and some amazing miracles, God has set his people free. He has brought them through the Red Sea, and now they are on the way to the promised land. But the very first thing that we see the people of God doing as they are on their way to the promised land is complaining. There are three stories back to back where the people of God are complaining to God about the things that God has or God has not done. But what we need to remember is every time we complain, we are either not trusting God to provide for us or we are not satisfied with the way that God has provided for us. And so we need to understand complaining is always wrong. But as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to see these three things that can help us as a body of believers become a strong body of believers where we can literally be used by God to change the world. And here's the first thing. If you want to be spiritually healthy, and if we want our church to be spiritually healthy, we must engage in spiritual warfare. I want you to listen to what it says in Exodus 17, beginning in verse 8. It says, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. 
Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. And so here we see God's people on their way to the promised land. They have crossed through the Red Sea, and they have left Egypt in their rearview mirror, and they haven't had to fight a single battle along the way. God did everything for them. And that reminds us of salvation. You see, some people have this idea that salvation is God's part and our part. But when it comes to salvation, all we, redo, all we do is receive it. There is nothing we can add to what God has already done. Jesus paid it all. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when we at, try to add works to God's grace, we are nullifying the grace of God in our lives. But now, the people of God are out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And they are attacked by an enemy, the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites traced their lineage back to Esau. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Remember, Esau was the brother of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And Esau was the one who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. The Bible tells us that Esau, Esau was a worldly, fleshly man. And his ancestors, the Amaleks, were the same kind of people. They were fleshly and worldly. They lived in the northern Sinai Peninsula. And the way they lived is attacking other people. And so they had heard that Israel was coming through. And they attacked them. They had heard about all the things that God had done. They had heard about God's power and how he defeated the Egyptians, and yet they attacked him nevertheless. Later on, as Moses is writing about this in Deuteronomy 25, he says this in verses 17 and 19. You need to write these verses down. Moses says, Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you're exhausted and weary. Isn't that what Satan does? Doesn't Satan typically attack us when we're exhausted and we're spiritually weary? When we have our guard down? That's why it's so important for you and I to stay spiritually refreshed. And then it says, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. And so in other words, the Amalekites would come in and those who were tired those who were weary 
those who were lagging behind, those who had gotten behind the rest of the group, the rest of the community, those are the ones that the Amalekites would attack. That's why it is so vital, listen to me, that is why it is so vital that you stay in community. That is why it is so vital for you to be a part of a small group. You cannot make it as a child of God in isolation because that is when the enemy is going to attack you. And then it says they had no fear of God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all the enemies in the land he has given you as a special possession, you must destroy the Amalekites, erase their memory from under heaven, never Forget this. Now that seems harsh, doesn't it? God says, I want you to destroy them. I want you to erase their memory from over, under heaven. Now why is this? Why is it that God is so angry at the Amalekites? Well, this is what you need to understand. The Amalekites and Esau throughout Scripture always represent the people who are controlled by the flesh in opposition to the people who are controlled by the Spirit. The Bible says, Jacob, I love the people of God, the people controlled by the Spirit. Esau, I hated the people of the flesh, the people who are controlled by the flesh. There is always this battle going on in the world between the people of God that have a desire to live by the Spirit and the people of the world who are controlled by the fleshly desires of this world. And the Bible makes it clear that one day God will destroy all those who are controlled by the flesh. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says this, Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. God's warning us. God's saying, do not follow those who are controlled by the flesh. You need to be, as a child of God, controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, this is what we need to understand as Christ followers today. There are a people, the people of this world, controlled by our enemy, Satan, who, have a, who has a desire to destroy us. You need to understand that Satan's desire is to destroy you. Satan's desire is to destroy this world. And he is going to do everything he can to do that. As a child of God, understand we are in a battle today just like the people of God were back then. And so Moses sent Joshua and an army of men out to engage the Amalekites. And while he did, Moses was up on a hill with Aaron and Hur. And the Bible says that he lifted the staff of God up to heaven. Now the staff of God represented the power of God to the people of God. We know every time Moses did something with the staff, God's power came down, right? And so as Moses lifted the staff up to heaven, God's people prevailed. But as Moses got tired and the staff began to go down, the Amalekites prevailed. 
And so Aaron and her brought a, a stone for Moses to sit on. And Aaron on one side and her on the other side held up Moses' arms so that he could hold the staff up to heaven. And the Bible says that he did that and the people of God prevailed against the Amalekites. Now what is this telling us? Two things about spiritual warfare. The first one is this. You and I must be engaged in the conflict. There are some today that tell us that as children of God, as, as followers of Jesus, we don't get involved in the conflicts in this world and the spiritual battles in this world. And that is foolishness. I want you to listen to me. If we want evil to prevail in this world, then we as believers simply need to cave in and not stand up to evil. Because if we don't stand up to evil, evil will prevail. We as Christ followers must stand against abortion. Do you hear me? We must stand against abortion. We have an obligation. We as Christ followers must stand up for a biblical sexual ethic. Because the Bible teaches about a sexual ethic from the first chapters of the, the Old Testament to the last chapters of the New Testament. We as Christ followers must stand up for justice for all people. Those who are like us and those who are not like us. There are things that we do as Christ followers. There are, there are issues that we must be involved in as Christ followers. There are stands that we must take as Christ followers. But understand, listen to me. We can fight abortion. We can fight for a biblical sexual ethic. We can fight for justice and all of these other things and yet lose the battle. Because Joshua, when the staff wasn't raised to heaven, was losing the battle. It was only when the staff was raised that the battle was being run. Now why is that? Because that staff represented the people of God connecting with the power of God. And that's what happens when we pray. Throughout the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, we are told that we are to lift up our hands to God in prayer. In Psalms chapter 63, it says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Psalms 141, verse 2, accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, in every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. And those are just a few of them. Now, is that talking about a posture of prayer that we're to have every time we pray? Is that telling us that when we pray, we're to pray like this? Well, no, I don't think that's what the Word of God is trying to teach us. But what the Word of God is trying to teach us is we do not have victory on our own. We only have victory as we intercede to the throne of God and connect with the power of God. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. How do we do that? We do that through prayer. You see, prayer is what connects us to the power that is greater than any power we could have. Someone said it this way. They said, if you go to war without praying, you will be a failure. You cannot win in the valley unless you win on the hilltop. And then they said this, weariness in prayer means weakness in battle. Did you get that? Weariness in prayer means weakness in battle. We can stand for all of the right things, we can be engaged in all of the right battles. We can protest. We can take stands. We can write our congressman. We can do all of these things, but those things are never going to win the battle. The battle is won through prayer. You see, we must confront the enemy recognizing that it's not our power but it's God's power that gives us the victory. And so let me ask you a question. Are you engaged in spiritual warfare? Are you consistently, persistently, powerfully approaching the throne of God so that the power of God can move into the situations of our world? Engage in spiritual warfare. The second thing that we must do if we want to be a spiritually healthy community is this. We must exclaim God's story of salvation. I want you to listen to what it says in Exodus 18, verse 1, and then we're going to jump to verse 7. Or verse 7. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. Herod especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Then in verse 7 it says, So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They, they asked about each other's welfare and, and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise God. The Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out, joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. Now that word exclaim means more than to simply tell something. The word means to cry out with strong emotions. That's why I use this word. When we share the good news of salvation with the world, we can't just casually share it. It is too great a news to just casually share. We have to emotionally, boldly share with people that our God saves. 
That our God saved us and he can save anyone who humbly comes to him recognizing their need, surrendering their lives to him. And so the story continues. And it's obvious that that Moses had sent his wife and his two kids to live with his father-in-law as as he goes and he confronts Pharaoh. And now as they're on the way to the promised land, Jethro brings Moses' wife and his two sons back. And as he does, the very first thing Moses does is begin to tell him how God has saved them. He told all the ways that God had showed up and worked in their life. And it says that Jethro was amazed and rejoiced. And he said, I now know that the God of Israel is above all the gods. Now, you need to understand, Jethro was the priest of Midian. He was not a priest of Midian. He was the priest of Midian. This guy was a religious leader among the Midianites. He worshiped a God. He served a God. He was as religious as could be, but he was lost. You see, there are some of us that that have this idea that if someone is religious and they're sincere in their beliefs and, and, and they're true to their practices, then certainly they must be okay But there's only one way to salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. There is only one God that saves, and that's the God of the Bible. And so Moses was telling his father-in-law about the salvation that God had brought to them. And as Moses shared, Jethro came to faith. How do we know? He made burnt offerings. He made sacrifices. He had the communion meal with the people of God. He was giving testimony to the fact that your God has become my God. You see, we have this idea that people today in our society are open and receptive to the gospel. I'm here to tell you that the good news of salvation will open the eyes and the hearts of people that are seeking. It's not that people aren't seeking today. Is that you and I aren't sharing. That's the problem. People are as open today to the gospel as they have ever been. It's just that you and I aren't opening our mouths with the gospel. And it's the gospel that saves. You see, the apostle Paul said, how can they believe if they don't hear? And How can they hear unless someone tells them? And that's our responsibility. Just like Moses had a responsibility to to share with Jethro and to share with others, you and I have a responsibility. Now, Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And you know what I've discovered is most often, we find it the most difficult to share with those who are the closest to us. And that's strange, isn't it? Because we should be more concerned with the people that are closest to us than anyone else. And yet it's difficult for us to share with those who are the closest to us because we don't want to offend them. And we also know that they know us best. (laughs) They see us at our best, but those closest to us also see us at our worst. They've seen us when we've let the words 
flow. They've seen us when we've lost our cool. They've seen us when we've dropped our guard. We've messed up. We've blown it. They know those things. And so oftentimes we don't share with them because we think that they won't listen to us. But understand, it's not your life that saves. It is the gospel message that saves. And praise God, we're saved by God's grace. Amen? Amen. People aren't saved because you live a good life. People aren't saved because I live a good life. People are saved because Jesus Christ lived the good life. And he died as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And we need to exclaim that good news to the world. We need to engage in spiritual warfare. We need to exclaim the message of salvation. But then third, we need to embrace shared ministry. Listen to what it says in in Exodus 18, verse 13 and following. It says, the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They, they waited before him from morning till evening. Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people. He asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, well, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me and And I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God, hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders of groups of 1,150 and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all the people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestion. And so the next day after Jethro got saved, Jethro went out and he observed his son-in-law sitting there judging all of the disputes that, that the people had. Now you need to understand there were over 2 million people in Israel. And every dispute, and there were lots of disputes because, remember, these were some complaining people, right? And so they not only complained against God, they complained against one another. And every time they had a complaint, every time they had a dispute, they would bring the dispute to Moses as Moses would sit there and he would make a ruling and he would tell the people what God was saying. And Jethro said, Moses, you're being crazy. What are you doing? You can't do this. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you know that one person can't take care of two million people? Know that? I mean, if you think you can take care of two million people, I want you to come see me afterwards. I got a job for you. Okay, the truth of the matter is there are none of us here who can take care of 2,000 people. There are none of us here who can take care of 200 people. 
I mean, when you really begin to talk about the needs that we have in life and the problems we face and, and the prayer needs we have and all of these other things, one person can't take care of that many people. It's impossible. And so Jethro said, Moses, there are some things you need to do. You need to be God's representative for the people. You need to tell the people, teach the people God's decrees. You need to show the people how to live. And there are some rulings that, yes, you need to make. But that's it. What you need to do is you need to choose some capable people who fear God, who are honest, who do not take bribes, and put them over a thousand and over a hundred and over fifty and over ten and let them help you. Now, what is this a picture of? This is a picture of shared ministry, isn't it? Kind of like what happened in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember that? Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit. Lots of people got saved. The Bible says that the Lord was adding to their number daily. Thousands and thousands of people were getting saved. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. And, and in Acts chapter 6, this problem arose. There were people in the church who weren't having their needs met. And they started grumbling and whining and complaining. And the apostles said, it's not good for us to leave the ministry of prayer and the teaching of the Word. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to choose men from among you and men filled with the Spirit, and it went through the qualifications, who can handle these things. Shared ministry. You see, together we can do more than we can ever do alone. Amen? And God expects each and every one of us to be involved because everybody can do something. Say that with me. Everybody can do something. Now listen to me. Your something is not sitting in that chair. Amen? Now I know you're real good at it. Man, you fill that chair up. I don't mean in, in a negative way. But, I mean, you, you, nobody, nobody fills that seat like you. But that's not your ministry. God's given you gifts and God's given you abilities that he wants you to use for his glory and for the body. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. The Bible says that God has given each of us spiritual gifts from his treasure chest of gifts. And he has given these to us so that we can serve one another. Some of you are called to serve preschoolers. You're wonderful at that. Some of you are called to serve children. Some of you are called to serve middle schoolers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just kidding, middle schoolers. Some of you are called to serve high schoolers, college age, singles, married people, senior adults. We're called to serve people at various ages and stages. Some of us are called to teach. Some of us are called to administer. Some of us are called to serve. We've got different gifts and different abilities and different talents. But every one of us are called to serve. What would happen if in our church, instead of having hundreds who were serving, we had thousands who were serving? 
who said, this, I think this is my gift. Let me, let me see if it is because I want to serve. And, and you, you try and you try and try until you find that gift and that place. And all of a sudden you're thriving and people are being ministered to and lives are being changed. And the church is accomplishing its mission. You see, we've got to embrace shared ministry. It's not about a, a ministerial staff doing it. It's not about a group of leaders doing it. It's about each and every one of us using the gifts and the abilities that God has given us for the glory of God. So how can we be a healthy, functioning community of believers? Well, we've got to engage in spiritual warfare, and spiritual warfare is one in prayer. We've got to exclaim the message of salvation to the world because it's only as we share it verbally, vocally, that people are going to be saved. And we've got to embrace shared ministry and find our place of ministry. So what is it I want you to do? There are three things I want to give you this morning. First, I want to ask you to get involved in spiritual warfare. Now, how can you do that? When you came in today, you received one of these. If you didn't receive one of these, we will get you one of these. But on the front of it, it says, Bless Every Home. Let me tell you what this is. This is an app that you can put on your phone where you will pray for five neighbors of yours every day. I've been doing this for months and months and months. Every day, I pray for five different neighbors. Now, let me tell you. When I started this, I had some neighbors that I liked and loved. They were great neighbors. And I had some neighbors that, well, let's just leave it there. <laughs> but as I prayed for them each and every day, prayed for their salvation, prayed for their needs to be met, prayed that God would give me opportunities to minister to them, God began to change my heart toward them. What this will do is allow you to begin to pray for your neighbors so that you can minister to your neighbors and eventually share the good news with your neighbors. Now, how do you get involved? Well, you just follow the directions here, but let me just tell you what you do. You go to our website, click on events, click on this, just sign up, and immediately it will begin to work for you. Every home prayed for. What would happen? If hundreds and hundreds of us at Northside committed to pray every day for our neighbors, would it make a difference? I think it would. Get involved in spiritual warfare by praying. Second, ask yourself, who is your one? This past spring, many of you, a couple of hundred of you, made a commitment this year to not only pray for your one, but to reach one. Literally, a couple of hundred of us made the commitment that this year, we're going to reach one person for Jesus and see them make that public commitment like Mitch did this morning. Let me ask you, how are you doing? Have you been praying for your one? Have you even discovered who your one is? Have you shared with your one? Listen, the good news is too good of news not to share it with others. We have to share it. And so I want to ask you, who's your one? Who have you shared with? 
And if you haven't shared with someone how Jesus saved you and how he can save anyone, then I want to encourage you to ask God to give you boldness, step out of your comfort zone, and begin to exclaim the good news. And then the third thing, I'm going to ask you to get involved in ministry. You may say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what my natural abilities are. That's okay. We'll help you. But make a commitment to serve somewhere. Because when all of us are doing our part, the body of Christ will become healthy. When we're not doing our part, the body of Christ will never be as healthy as it is supposed to be. So engage in spiritual warfare by praying. Specifically, pray for your neighbors. Make that commitment. Share the good news. Who's your one? If you haven't started that process, start it. And then find your place of ministry. Now, if you're here and you're not a child of God, then I've got to tell you the most important thing for you to do this morning is not anything I've said. The most important thing for you to do is, is accept God's grace. God loves you with an everlasting love. He created you for a relationship, but our sin has broken that relationship, and the only way it can ever be restored is through Jesus Christ. And we have to come to Jesus, humbly acknowledging our sin, trusting Jesus to save us, surrendering our life to him. And when we do that, he will change us. It's mysterious, supernatural. But I got to tell you, when you humble yourself before God and give Jesus your life, he changes you from the inside out. And if you're here today and he hasn't changed you and you don't radically want to live for Jesus, then I encourage you today, humble yourself, give your life to Jesus. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, first thing I want to ask you is, if you haven't given your life to Jesus and you're ready to do that, you're saying, I need to do that, then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right here, right now. Dear God, I come to you today knowing that my sin has separated me from you. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to live in bondage anymore. Jesus, I know you're my only hope. I know you came to this earth. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross. You rose from the grave to defeat sin and death for me. Jesus, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Come into my heart. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Jesus, thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.